following is a podcast of 19 North, a young adults ministry at Victory Family Church. For more details, see 19north.tv. How's everyone doing tonight? Great. Uh, well, hey, obviously Zach's not here because Zach Del Turco is married. Are you guys excited for that? Just who, who was at the wedding last night? Anybody? Cool. A lot of people. It was a lot of fun. Uh, so, yeah, they're married, so I'm here. Um, if we haven't met, my name's Doug. Some of you know me as Bubba. Uh, a little bit about me. I'm married to my high school sweetheart, Lara. Uh, yeah. Woo. She's awesome. We dated for 10 years. It took me 10 years to grow up to, to actually mature enough to marry her. But I did. Uh, we have a five-month-old uh, named Olivia, and she's super cute. I don't have a picture of her, um, but we named her after Olivia Govan, who's back there. I'm just joking. But it was, that was just for you. But... Uh, but Olivia's awesome, too. But um, So anyway, I work at Light of Life Rescue Mission on the north side. Um, if you're unfamiliar with Light of Life, we're a homeless ministry on the north side of Pittsburgh. And we provide food, shelter, education, employment, recovery, uh, and ultimately the hope of Christ to the homeless of Pittsburgh. So if you ever want to come down and serve a meal, I'm just curious, has anyone actually been down to Light of Life and served? Okay, a few of you. I'd encourage you to do it. It's an awesome, awesome thing. I've been there for almost six years, which is kind of crazy to think about. Uh, and then my wife and I are also very passionate about leadership development, so we started a company called L3 Leadership, and we host monthly leadership breakfasts, and we bring in some of the best leaders in Pittsburgh uh, to share their best leadership content. We have mastermind groups and all kinds of things. So if you're interested in leadership development, I'd love to talk to you about that, um, and uh, it would be awesome. So enough about me. I just want to get right into the Word, so let's pray, and we'll get into this. Father, thank you so much for this time together. God, I thank you for this ministry. Lord, I thank you for this church that believes in this ministry. Thank you for Zach Del Turco and his entire leadership team, Father. And um, Lord, I thank you for everyone here, Lord. And we just open up our hearts to what you want to do tonight. You say in your word, where two or more are there, you're there. Um, so we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you're here. And I just pray that you would speak specifically each person's heart tonight, Lord. Whether it's something I say or something you directly want to speak to their heart, I just pray that you do it and we'd all go home closer to you than when we were when we came. Uh, we love you and we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Everyone said, <clears throat> amen. So my message tonight is called, um, You Are Not Your Failures. You are not your failures. And so I just want to talk to you a, a minute about failure. Has anyone ever dealt with failure in their life? Okay, pretty much everyone. Has anyone not dealt with failure? You, you're perfect. You've never messed up. Anybody? I didn't think so. So um, the, my, my thesis for tonight actually comes from a thought uh, by John Maxwell, and he said this, two quotes by him. He said, when it comes right down to it, I know of only one factor that separates those who consistently shine for, from those who don't, their perception and response to failure. He said it another way when he said the difference between average people and achieving people is their perception and response to failure. And I, I want to view failure from a biblical perspective, um, and, and I've seen this over and over again. And, and uh, again, I don't have time to teach it, but there's actually Jesus taught in Mark chapter 4 the parable of the sower and the seed, and he talks about four kind of ground um, and four kind of people, and essentially three out of the four people, they all get excited about following God on the front end, uh, but in the end, only one out of those four people actually end up following God, and out of those one out of four, only, I, I don't remember the percentage, a small percentage of them actually reach their full potential in Christ, and I would love to say that I haven't seen that play out over the 14 years I've been walking with God consistently, um, but I've seen that play out a lot. I've seen so many people, your guys' age, these kind of ministries, they get fired up about God, and then uh, tonight, there's a lot of reasons, but I think one big reason that people fall away is because they experience failure in their life, whether it's sin, whether it's messing up, whether it's disappointment and not doing something that they thought they were supposed to do. 
And as a result, they become isolated, they become discouraged, they become depressed, and ultimately end up walking away with God, uh, from God, and never doing anything great with their life. And so, I just want to talk to you about failure and how you should view it biblically. I'm going to focus on two types of failure. Briefly, I'm going to go over good failure, uh, and then we'll spend the rest of the time uh, going over bad failures, which I'll talk about. I define good failures as this, failure while while taking risks for God. Failure while taking risks for God. My point tonight is not to to say that failure is bad, because sometimes failing is really, really good. Uh, In Matthew chapter 28, it's the Great Commission, you guys have all heard this. But it says, Jesus came and he told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and in earth. Therefore, go. Everyone say go. Go. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. And then he goes on to explain that. But Jesus said, therefore, go. Go, go, go. That's pretty much all he says. Go and make disciples. Like That's, all, that's the call for everyone in this room's life. And he doesn't say specifically how to do it. But I'm here to tell you that that should be all you think about. Yes, you need to pursue a career. Yes, you need to make money and all those different things. But within whatever you're a part of, what are you doing about the command that we've been giving? Are you taking risks to to fulfill the Great Commission? Are you doing anything for him? And I want you to know that if you're taking risks for God and you fail, that it's okay. There was a a woman. How many of you guys have heard of Spanx? What's up? Everyone's kind of laughing. I had no idea what Spanx were. My wife was in the last one. She's like, it's pants that that you go in and you, dis- you kind of like disappear in. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, that didn't make sense. And then Vinay educated me. I might butcher this. They're, <laughs> they're pants that you put on and they make everything s- stay together. Is that what you said? I won't ask if you own a pair of Spanx, especially guys, but who knows. But Spanx, why, <laughs> the woman that created Spanx, what was her name, Vinay? Sarah, Sarah Berkeley. First female billionaire, self-made billionaire. Self-made, but first woman to, to start a company and become a billionaire through starting a company. Why I bring her up, what's interesting is she, she was interviewed on why she was successful in, in building Spanx, and she said, when I was young, when I was in middle school and high school, every day I would get home and my dad would sit me down and say, Sarah, what did you fail at today? What did you fail at today? Um, and, and it forced her, and, and if she didn't have an answer, he would get upset. And what that did is it forced her to always be risking. And, and so she would always try to start a company. She would always try to start something. And my question is, when is the last time you failed at something that was for God, <clears throat> even with good intent? When is the last time you really risked and went after God with the, the great commission in mind? If you're on a sports team, if you're in college, you should constantly be thinking, how can I lead my college to Christ? How can I lead my, my, my peers to Christ? How can I lead my, my coworkers to Christ? Because the reality is you're only with them for such a brief period of time. Even if you're in college for four years, the, the amount of time you have to impact your peers is very little. So what are you doing? Bill Hybels had a principle that I adopted many years ago. He said, always be leading something. And so for me in my life, I'm always trying to, to do something. And as I thought back about the past 14 years of my life, I mean, I remember starting Bible studies. I remember just starting stuff. I remember just having people over for, like, game nights just to bring people to expose them to Christ. We started this company called L3 Leadership. It could fail. It could fall apart. But what are we trying to do? We're trying to reach people for Christ. And, and I think the more stuff you try, the more comfortable you get with actually having the courage to step out when you feel like God's nudging you, uh, the, more, the bigger impact that you'll make. Because here's what I know, even if what, you, let's say God's putting on your heart to start a Bible study on campus, even if it ends up not doing well, or you're leading a ministry on campus, you're going to learn lessons that you could have never learned otherwise had you not actually had the courage to start that venture. So I just want to challenge you, what are you failing at? What did you fail at today that God put on your heart 
And, and I would say the only true failure is if God put something on your heart and you didn't follow through with it. What are the things that God dealt with you months ago to do and you haven't started doing yet? Don't be afraid. The worst thing that can happen is you, you fail. And if you fail, the whole point of the message is you are not your failure. You know what? I mean, to be honest, I work at Light of Life, but we started this, this leadership company, and I was meeting with a friend the other day. He wants to start a company, but he's afraid to fail. And I said, man, let me ask you something. We've been good friends for about 10 years. If, if, if our company, L3 Leadership, it's exciting, but if it failed and did nothing, would you think less of me? He's like, no, you're like one of my best friends. And I was like, exactly. So what are you afraid of? Like, if, even if you started a company and you failed, I wouldn't think less of you. I love you. And the reality is I think we just make up these fears in our head of, of why we shouldn't pursue our dreams. I just want to encourage you to stop. Your value is not in what you do, and it shouldn't be in your failure either. But what are you willing to risk for God? Stephen Furtick said this in his book, whatever his first book was, but he said, I despaired at the thought that my life might slip by without seeing God show himself mightily on our behalf. And that scares me. Man, God's life is so short, and I don't want to get to the end of my life and not know that I gave God everything I had, that I didn't like, go after all the promptings that he put in my heart. I just want to go for it. So again, that's all I'm really going to say is just dream big and go for it when it comes to good failures. Take risks for God, and so what if you fall on your face? Get back up again. Get back up again. I want to focus the rest of the time and actually teach on bad failures. Um, I consider bad failures this, failures that leave us feeling guilty, depressed, isolated, discouraged, etc. Has anyone ever had a failure that has left them feeling like that? Okay, everyone in the room. So hopefully you'll be able to relate to this. In Luke chapter 18, verse 1, it says this. It says, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. And never give up. Isn't it interesting? Wouldn't you think if you got to hang out and be an actual disciple and see everything that you saw, that you would never want to give up? That you would never wake up and not be fired up for ministry? That you would never wake up and not have passion for your purpose? But it's clear that Jesus had to actually teach. It didn't say he taught the multitudes this. Like, he taught his team this. He had to say, guys, like, let's get it together. I'm about to tell you a story to always pray and never give up. So if Jesus had to tell the disciples to never give up, I'm going to challenge you and to tell you that there's going to be times where you're going to want to give up, specifically in the area of failure. If you felt a bad failure where you start to feel some of that discouragement, you will want to give up. Galatians 6.9 says, let's not grow tired of doing what is good, because at just the right time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. So the first thing I just want you to get a resolve for when it comes to bad failures is resolve that with God you're going to make it to your finish line, no matter what. No matter what. Like I would just draw a line in the sand right now and say, I will make it to my finish line. No matter what, I'm never going to give up. I don't care how bad I mess up. I don't care how bad it looks. I was, uh, I was meeting with a leader. Oh, I'll, get, I'll share that later. But you have to determine to never give up. Because one of the biggest ways the enemy defeats us is by telling us that no one's ever been as bad as you've been. No one's ever done what you've done. Or or you're the only one that's experiencing that. And and that's a a lie. The Bible says we're all going through the same tests and trials. But if he can pigeonhole you and make you think that your failure is who you are and that's all you are and you'll never be anything else, you might as well throw in the towel now. But you have to step up with a resolve. I hope this encourages you. Here's some guys that had resolve that made it to their finish line but had some huge, huge failures and character flaws in their life. You guys may have seen this. It's pretty famous. And actually, I didn't read through the whole list, and there's like a hilarious one. But let's read through these. These are Bible heroes that we all look up to. Jacob was a cheater. Peter had a tempter. David had an affair. 
Noah got drunk. Jonah ran from God. Paul was a murderer. Gideon was insecure. Miriam was a gossip. Martha was a worrier. Thomas was a doubter. Sarah was impatient. Elijah was moody. Here it is. Zacchaeus was short. Like, I read that. Someone was like, anyway, so if you're short, I'm sorry. You're a failure. <laughs> Who wrote that? It's hilarious. But I guess I know what they mean. Uh, my wife's short, so I don't think all short people are failures. Just some. Um, <laughs> just teasing. I'll stop right there. Abraham was old. Lazarus was dead. But, you know, <laughs> that's a failure right there. But he came back. What's up? He didn't give up. <laughs> Maybe he did. Uh, I won't focus on those ones to make my point. My point is, I mean, think about this. David, David and Paul, those are the, the best examples I like. I mean, we, we read about all the great things that David did, David and Goliath. But you guys obviously know this is horrible. Do you, is this being recorded? I have to tell a joke. Don't, don't put this, edit this out. <laughs> my friend, my friend, and I'm not going to say his name because some of you know him, but he was going through marriage counseling, and um, like premarital counseling because he was getting married. And, and the premarital counselor said, hey, if you could be any Bible character, like if you could li- relive any story in the Bible, what would you relive? And his wife said, well, I would have wanted to be there when, they, when uh, Moses parted the Red Sea, right? God parted the sea for him. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, that would be awesome. <clears throat> then they asked my friend what he would want. And he's like, ah, I kind of wish I could see what David saw on the rooftop with that girl. <laughs> Probably not the best answer to share in premarital counseling. It was a joke, though, but it's pretty funny. Anyway. <laughs> uh, but David, <laughs> he had an affair because he saw what he saw. But, but think about this. Like, David had a legit affair. Like, not good, right? And not only did he have an affair, he killed the, the person's husband that he had an affair with. He killed Bathsheba's husband. He sent him out to war and, and literally had him killed. Paul was a murderer. Paul murdered Christians. He said it was okay to stone Christians and literally kill them. And, and we think about that, but think about the, the, the condemnation that would come with those things. I mean, think about the worst thing you've ever done. Like, they experienced the same thing, but if you look at the, the trajectory of their life, God was still able to use them in a significant way because they never gave up. They never gave up on God. Yeah, they messed up, but they continued to repent, and they continued to get right with God, and as a result, God was able to use them. Zig Ziglar said this. He said, failure is not an event or I'm sorry, yeah, failure is an event, not a person. Yesterday ended last night. That's just a great quote to remember. I, I know this helped me immensely when I failed, but yesterday ended last night. You could be here tonight. You could have been high as a kite last night and going crazy, but hey, that's okay. Yesterday ended last night. You can get right with God and just be awesome today. Failure is not who you are. It's just an event. So I want to talk about and spend the rest of the time teaching you about two different uh, famous failures in the Bible in two different responses, and I hope that through this that you actually learn to have a proper perspective of failure and then an actual process for dealing with failure. But I want to look at Judas and Peter. You guys know Judas. Judas betrayed Christ and ultimately was the reason he was crucified, and then Peter actually betrayed or denied Christ three times in the rooster crowed. So that's what we're going to be looking at. I want to look at the bad response to failure first, which was Judas's. Now, we don't have a lot of content on, on how Judas responded, but I think this pretty much sums it up well. Matthew 27, verse 3 through 5. It said, When Judas, who had betrayed him, Jesus, realized that Jesus had been contemned, condemned to die, he was filled with remorse, or a deep regret or guilt for a wrong committed. So he took 30 pieces of silver um, back for the leading priests and elders. And he said, I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. And they said, what do we care? 
That's your problem. And then Judas threw silver coins down in the temple and went out and hung himself. He went out and hung himself. Now, this is probably an extreme version of a bad response to failure, but can I tell you that, yes, that actually does happen. Some people cannot escape the prison of their own failure and their own past, so they actually do, sadly, end their lives. There's other people that they may not physically end their lives, but they totally isolate, and they may end their spiritual lives and stop being connected to God at all because they don't know how to deal with those feelings of guilt, of insecurity, of discouragement, of fear, of of shame. And I would say that that's not a great way to handle failure. So if if that's the improper way is to isolate and to end and start killing everything around you, what's the proper way? Let's talk about Peter, and that's what we'll focus the rest of our time on. Everyone say, don't be like Judas. So you guys know the story of Peter denying Jesus. So just up front, if you don't, context-wise, Jesus, Peter said to Jesus, Jesus, I will follow you no matter what. Right? He had the resolve. I'll never give up. I'm with you all the way, brother. I am with you to the finish line. And, and Jesus just looked at him. He said, you know what, Peter? I appreciate your words, but by the end of the night, you're going to deny me three times. And he said, I would never do that. I'll, I, why, man, I'm your most committed disciple. And here's what happened. As they seized him, meaning Jesus, and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looked closely at him, this man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You were one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour still, another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. Another version actually says that Peter cursed and said, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, he was, as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. So here he was, this guy that thought he was unstoppable Christian, ends up failing and denying the very person that he committed his life to and said, I give you everything to with a pretty, in, within a pretty short period of time. And let's see what happened. It said, because Peter was following Jesus, it said, then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered saying to the Lord, what had, the Lord had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And here it is, verse 62. And he went out and wept bitterly. He went out and wept bitterly. Have you ever wept bitterly over a failure of yours or of something you've done in the past or who you feel you are, who you think you are? Most, recently, um, just to be honest with you, the, the other night, Wednesday night, my, my daughter fell. I have a five-month-old daughter. She fell. We had to take her to the ER room, and it was my fault. She fell. We didn't see her fall. I don't know how she landed, all these things. Um, I can't tell you how much I, I wept bitterly. Man, because I felt like I failed my daughter. I felt like I failed my family, and I did not know. She's okay. I wouldn't be sharing this if she wasn't. But I, I ran upstairs and literally like put my face face down into a, a blanket, and it was like weeping as hard as I could possibly weep. Man, because I felt so much shame and so much failure. And, and to be honest with you, it took me a while to get right emotionally because my wife needed encouraged that things were going to be okay, but I literally felt like I had like just murdered my daughter. And I can see how easy it is. I hadn't experienced that level of, of quote-unquote, failure in so long. And, man, I could see how easy it would be just to isolate. I started isolating myself from my wife, who needed me in that time. She didn't need me to, to isolate and do what Satan wanted me to do. It was such a battle in the mind. And, and haven't we all been there? In one minute, I was, I was saying, you're the worst father ever. You're a murderer. Like, your daughter's not going to be okay. And, man, all these lies Satan was hitting me with. 
And then the next minute, I'm trying to fight it with the word of God, saying, man, she's going to be okay. Man, the Bible says that angels are ministering spirits sent to those who will inherit salvation. Angels caught her, blah, blah, blah. All this stuff, like, she's going to be okay. God's awesome. This is out of my control, and I'm just trusting God. That constant battle back and forth. And if we don't learn how to navigate that, it's exactly how Peter felt, then, then we can very quickly go down a slippery slope and end up in places we never dreamed we'd be. He wept bitterly. And to add on top of that, I mean, Christ looked him in the eye. Kind of like, dude, remember when you said you were with me till the end? You just denied me three times. Can you imagine? I mean, it's bad enough. I don't know if you've ever betrayed someone or gossiped about someone. Anybody other than me? Have you ever been caught gossiping about someone or betraying a friend and you didn't think they knew and you were all buddy-buddy and they knew that you did something? And they look you in the eye. It's, It's the worst feeling ever. Can you imagine Christ looking you in the eye? Man. So before we see... How, how, how Peter reacted, I want to go back to something that I thought was interesting as I studied this out that Jesus said to Peter prior to this even happening. This is in Luke chapter 20, verse 30, 31, 30, and 32. And this is Jesus. It says, Simon, Simon, that was Peter. He said, Peter, Peter, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Peter, so that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me, strengthen your brothers. See, I think this is very interesting. For me, this is, I, I feel like, a view from Jesus' perspective on failure. Three things I want you to notice. One, Satan is going to do everything he can to destroy you. The Bible says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. See, he, Jesus said, Jesus, like, there is a heaven, there is a hell. Man, if Jesus is right, there is a God, there is a devil, we do have an enemy. And he said, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. He, he doesn't say, like, Satan just asked to, like, torment you or make you upset once in a while. Like, legitimately, Satan's plan for you is to die. Like, Satan wants you to die. He doesn't want you to know God. Like, anything that steals, kills, and destroys in your life is from him. And Jesus is saying that that's true. And he's saying, Peter, God wants, uh, Satan wants your failure to absolutely ruin your life. He wants you to do the same thing Judas did. You just rejected me. He wants you to go hang yourself. That's the objective. He wants you to be so full of shame that it destroys your life. He recognized that the enemy wasn't his failure, but Satan. Two, Jesus is praying for you. Man, isn't that awesome? Like, Jesus said, Peter, I'm praying for you that you wouldn't give up. I'm praying that your faith should not fail. Do you know that the Bible says that God, Jesus is our intercessor and he, he ever lives to make intercessory prayer for us, right? Like, Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for every single one of us every day that our faith would not fail, that we wouldn't let the, the battles of life and the failures in life hold us back from who he's called us to be or what he's called us to do. And then lastly, when we mess up, he said, repent and keep pursuing God. And then help others who are tempted to quit like you were. I love that. Jesus said, so when you've repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. He gave him a perfect roadmap for how to handle it. Repent, repent, and turn to me again, and then strengthen your brothers. It's a simple roadmap. Recognize who the enemy is. Recognize I'm on your side. And recognize that if you'll repent and keep going after me, I'll make it right. And not only will I make it right, but I'll use this very mess that you're in to be a blessing and a ministry to other people. That's Jesus' perspective of failure, and it's his roadmap. So if you messed up, here's the roadmap for how to get out of it. One, repent. Jesus said to repent. In 2 Corinthians 7.10, it says, For the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Right In the Bible, there's two kinds of sorrow when it comes to failing. So you're either going to be sorry that you were 
got caught and were busted, or you're legitimately sorry and you're repentful, right? So my question, has anyone ever been busted with anything and you got caught and you got in trouble, but you weren't sorry, right? I remember when I wasn't living for God in high school, I got busted drinking one time at a party, and uh, man, I got found in a fire, they had to take me home, my mom took care of me all night, and they were like, we're taking you to rehab, and I was like, I'm not sorry, you can't help someone that doesn't want to help, be helped, like that was my big thing, like, and I told the counselor, like, you can't help me, you can't help me. Man, I, had no, I, I didn't think anything I was doing was wrong. But ultimately, it's because I wasn't following God. But when I started following God, man, godly sorrow started rising up in me and said, man, I messed up, but I know I'm better than this. And when you know you're better than this, that positions you perfectly to repent. But we need to repent. And the simplest way, I, I share this all the time, but the simplest equation that I say is admit it, quit it, and forget it. Admit it, quit it, forget it. If you failed, admit it. Man, I messed up. I messed up. And then quit it. That's repentance. I'm going to turn around. I'm not going to do that anymore and believe God for the grace and the resources not to do it. And then forget it. Forget it. So many of you have had failures 10 years ago and you still think you're that person you were in high school or in middle school. You're not. My friend Zach Blair used to say, you, you may have done what they said you did, but that doesn't mean you are who they say you are. The Bible says that God forgives your sin as far as east is the west. He totally forgets about it. So if God forgets about your sin and who you were, why, why wouldn't you forget that? Man, we need to admit it, quit it, and forget it. You need to repent when you fail or when you're feeling down. And get right with God. And then two, you have to get some brothers and sisters around you when you're failing, when, feeling like a failure. You need to be vulnerable. That's why you need to be in small groups. Who do you have, you know, the other night, I mean, thank God I had my wife, but who do you have to call when you feel like that? When you're weeping bitterly because of your own failure, who, who do you have to go to? If I were to ask you to list three names of people that you could call immediately when you're going through something like Peter went through, could you, could you give me a list? We need, I call them faith buddies. We need people that will encourage us and say, man, God's got a plan. God's not done with you yet. Listen to what happened to Peter. This is in Mark chapter 16. This is after Jesus died and resurrected. In Mark chapter 16, verse 5 through 7, it says this. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The, woman was, were sh- the women were shocked, but the angel said, Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look at where they laid his body. Here's verse 7. Here's the awesome point. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there, and just as he told you before he died. Isn't it interesting that angels didn't just say, like, go and tell all the disciples. Like, that could have been easily in there. But they say, go and tell the disciples and Peter. Because if you've experienced failure, can't you imagine how Peter felt? Man, for three years, I was Jesus' right-hand man. I was one of the top three that he loved. Uh, man, I went through everything with him. But at the end of his life, I denied him three times. I'm done. Man, God put me on the shelf. I'll never be used in ministry. Like, I'm going to ride the bench the rest of my life. My life's over. But man, an angel, an, like, an angel straight out came out and said, go tell the, the disciples and Peter. And can you imagine when they went back and said, guys, I want you to know that Jesus is back, but Peter specifically, they wanted you to know that and that he's looking forward to seeing you and that he's going ahead of you. I mean, do you know how the must have, that must have encouraged him, say, him basically saying, God, we're not done with you yet? God's not done with you yet? There's still a plan? And do you have friends in your life that can tell you that? I mean, it would be cool if angels did. That would be awesome too. But do you have friends that can say, man, God's not done with you? The Bible says, I remember, I've shared this all the time, but I was interning at this church when I was 17 or 18, drinking all on weekends and then living for God during the week, got busted, 
And I remember meeting with Pastor Larry. I thought, same thing, I felt just like Peter. I was weeping all weekend, and I thought they were going to kick me out of the church. And man, Pastor Larry looked at me, and he smiled. This changed my life forever. He said, Bubba, I love you, and I believe in you. But the Bible says that a righteous man falls down seven times, but gets back up again. Get back up again. And then he said, but I can't continue to let you lead if you live this lifestyle, so you have a choice to make. So he also had truth with grace. But man, do you know how freeing it is when you feel like you're the worst person on earth and want to die to have someone look at you and smile and say, I love you in spite of your failure. And man, God still has a plan and God is not done with you yet. I wouldn't be standing here today if I didn't have friends and and mentors that did that for me. Who do you have in your life that can be a faith buddy? So you need to repent and you need to get around people who can encourage you. And if you'll do those things, and it really is that simple, if you'll repent, Keep following God and get people to encourage you. When you handle, oh, I did want, I, I wrote this separately, but when I was worshiping uh, in the Thrive service, God dealt with my heart while I was worshiping about this. I don't know if this is for someone or for everything, but um, the whole message is you are not your failure, right? So your identity should not be in your failure, but can I let you know that the other, other people are not their failures either? Other people aren't their failures either. It's so easy for us to judge other people. Man, God's been dealing with me. If you're looking for a great series to listen to, Keith Moore has a series called Mercy Over Judgment. One, if you, if you just want to, like, if you want to grow up spiritually, listen to that. But it's a whole series on judging. And he always says, I'd be very surprised if you went an entire week without judging someone. And it's so easy for us to look at other people and be like, can you believe they did that? Right? We had, there was a big, Perry Noble was a pastor that I follow. He, he pastored one of the biggest churches in South Carolina. His church ended up firing him because he had a problem with alcohol. And man, it would be, it, it, Christians did. They were absolutely, Christians went crazy and started pointing the finger. Do you know when you judge other people, man, you're a hypocrite? Because you may not have done what you, they did, but you have this, you've done something that they've done, right? You might not have murdered someone with Paul, but you've lied. And in God's eyes, sin is sin. Sin is sin. So when you judge someone else and what they've done in their failure, you're being a hypocrite. And so I just want to encourage you. The Bible says, judge not lest you be judged. And man, I'm telling you, if you want to experience God's grace and love and mercy, man, stop judging other people and stop holding other people to a standard that you don't even hold yourself to and that you would never hold yourself to. You're not your failure, but neither are other people. So stop, stop putting that on them. And I just want to close by talking about what happens when you handle failure correctly. Let's see what happens in, in Peter's life. So Peter got encouraged, he repented. And the next time we see Peter, it's in Acts chapter 2, and the dude is preaching to thousands of people. Why? Because he was encouraged. Listen to this, Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 41. It said, Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. It sounds like he probably had some experience with that. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is God's promise to you, your children, and those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all listeners, save yourself from this crooked generation. And those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. About 3,000 in all. And, And that's just one day. And Peter went on to be one of the most used disciples in the whole Bible, right? We hear about him all the time. He has a book in there, all kind of things. But what if he would have let failure own him? What if he never would have repented? What if he would have done the same thing Judas did? You don't think he could have? He he could have easily ended it. But man, he chose to repent. And man, he got people to encourage him. And as a result, he knew that God wasn't done with him. And I want you to know, if you're here, I don't know what's on the other side of your failure. 
But I do know if you'll handle it well, God can do some incredible things in and through your life. I want to share two more scriptures with you around that um, just to encourage you. This is in Job chapter 42, and I think about this all the time. It's one of my favorite scriptures. Job 42, verse 12 and 16. This is at the end of Job's life after all the craziness had happened. Again, I mean, think about this. Like, Job didn't necessarily fail, but his wife, I think his wife died. I forget his wife died or not, but his whole family died, right? Like, this guy loses all of his kids. I can't imagine losing my daughter. Like, can you imagine he had all this stuff happen to him? He had boils. I don't remember. Just read Job. But anyway, all this crazy stuff. But listen to how Job's life ended. It says in verse 12, So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than in the beginning. Job lived 140 years after that, after all that stuff happened, living to see four generations of his children and grandchildren, and then he died an old man who had lived a long, full life. Do you know the scholars actually say with all of Job's suffering, it was probably only about nine months of his life? And men, isn't it easy with our lives when it comes to failures and things where we miss the mark that we make it our whole life? I did this when I was in ninth grade, and so I'm going to be 80 and still pay the price for it. High school kids, right? Don't you just, it breaks your heart when you see high school kids end their life. Because don't you just want to say to them, you guys are all older than that. Don't you just want to say, bro, I'm telling you, I know high school can be tough. I know people can be mean. But if you'll just wake up and just put, like, sleep on it. Sleep on whatever you're painful for. And I promise you'll be better the next day. And high school's not all there is. There's college. And I'm telling you, if you don't like college, the college isn't there all there is. You have the whole rest of your life ahead of you. And your life does not have to be defined by a one-month failure or a two-year failure or whatever you're defining your life by. I hope that we can all stand here and say that as a result of, of us responding to failure well, the second half of our life is even more blessed than the beginning. You are not your failures. Your failures do not determine your future. And your future is determined by God. Period. And so I just want to pray for anyone who's struggling with, with, maybe with this, this whole thing. In 2 um, Corinthians 5.17, it says, Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. If everyone could just bow their heads and close their eyes just for one second. The Bible says that in Christ, when you actually accept Christ into your life, that you become a brand new creature. You become a brand new person. The old life is gone and the new life is here. And I'm just going to do two two calls to action tonight. One is just uh, to give you an opportunity to accept Christ. And then I want to pray for people who are specifically dealing with failure. But if you're here tonight and you don't know if you have a relationship with Christ, the Bible says that Jesus Christ came to live the life that we should have lived and die the death we should have died so that we could have a a relationship with God, spend eternity with Him, and live the life we were called to live here on earth. And it's not something that you can earn. It's not something that you're good enough of and, and you have to be perfect. It's a free gift. The Bible says that God so loved you that He sent His only Son to die for you and that all you need to do to receive Him is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ died on a cross, rose from the dead, and repent of your sins. And Jesus will come into your life and you will become a brand new person. And that old life, it could have been, that life could have been last night. God can transform your life right now. So if you're here and you say to me, Doug, I don't know if I've ever made Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand on the count of three. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, and then I'll pray a prayer with you. Everyone in this room will pray it with you, and then uh, you'll accept Christ, and it'll be awesome. So if you're here and you say, Doug, tonight I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life, would you raise your hand on the count of three? One, two, three. Awesome. Thank you, thank you. I see those hands. Thank you. Anybody else? It's the best decision ever. Thank you, guys. You guys can put down your hands. 
Well, hey, if you raise your hand or should have, let's all pray this out loud with them. Say, Heavenly Father, <clears throat> I thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die for me. I repent of my sins, and I believe that Jesus died on a cross, and he rose from the dead for me. Jesus, I ask you into my heart, and I thank you for coming. Thank you for giving me a brand new life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you guys will keep your heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to pray for those who may be feeling exactly what Peter felt. Maybe you've been weeping bitterly and you just can't get over what you did or who you think you are or what you've been defined as and you're dealing with failure and you haven't been responding to it well. I just want to pray for you. And so again, I'm not going to embarrass you or even ask you to pray a prayer. I would just ask you, if you need prayer for that, if you've been dealing with failure and you want me to pray for you, would you just raise your hand? No one's looking around, but I'll just say a prayer for you and just believe God that he'll totally set you free from the condemnation that is hard to you. Thank you. Thank you for being honest. Father, I thank you for everyone who just lifted their hands and anyone who didn't. Lord, I just pray that you would just totally free them from all condemnation and guilt and discouragement and depression. Lord, I thank you that you say in your word that they can cast their care on you because they care for because you care for them. And Lord, I pray that, um, Lord, you would just take all that discouragement condemnation. And Father, just replace it with a peace that only you can give, Father. And I just pray that they would experience that peace maybe for the first time or maybe for the hundredth time, Father. But you would let them know you're near, that you would let them know you love them. You would let them know that that is not how you define them, Father. And I thank you that they find out how you define them, Lord. And you see them as righteous through the blood of Christ, Lord. So we thank you for that. I thank you for freeing them from condemnation. You say in your word, there is no condemnation in Christ, Father. So I thank you for that. I thank you for helping them grow up and, um, and just respond to failure well, Lord. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, can we give a hand to those guys that gave their heart to Christ?